in your cell groups. I think there's still a, another six or seven studies left in the actual small groups, so I'd encourage you to keep on going through with that. Uh, could I ask you to pray for my family, my wife's niece, Chantelle, um, Vito and the twin girls, uh, Latina and Nola, who come here on a regular basis. Uh, so their uncle, well, sorry, Chantelle's uncle uh, passed away as well as uh, another cousin as well at the same time, um, a couple of days apart, so Chantelle had to go back. And my wife has been ministering to Chantelle and, and keep praying for her for her salvation uh, as well. It's, um, I'd really appreciate that uh, because God's really working there, working through Chantelle, working through David, her partner as well. So I would really appreciate that. Um, I have some other news as well, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold off on that for now. It may need to be postponed until next week. Uh, for those who, uh, who don't know, every year, every year you'll notice we sort of have a, a vision cast at Grace Christian Church. And the vision cast was usually something to help us as a body of believers, as a congregation, as a church family, to all get on the same page and, and, and move in the same direction in an effort to fulfill the macro calling of God. There's, there's what I call the macro calling of God that is applicable to every believer, to every church globally. And then you have what I'd like to term the micro calling for us as individuals to help achieve that macro calling, whether it is, as we looked at over the past few years, I've just picked some of them, whether it be possessing your inheritance. We've done more than, I think, eight or nine years ago. Uh, whether it was knowing God, loving God, serving God, uh, whether it was the pressing on toward the mark to the goal that's set before us, whether it was building community or passionately pursuing God and having a heart after God's own last year. We, we often have these little micro themes, I guess you could call it, micro themes to assist us and to help unify us. Thus, as a leadership, we've been praying. We've been praying for the church. We've been praying for each other. We've been praying for the congregation, for you guys. And, and we've been praying, saying, Lord, where would you like us to go? Where do you want to direct us as a church? Because honestly, my vision doesn't matter. My vision's irrelevant. Ultimately, it's God's vision and God's desire for the church. And, and my prayer is that we as a family, we as a body of believers will be sensitive to God's spirit sensitive to his voice as we look at where God wants to take us in 2019. So if you want to open in a word of prayer with me, and we're going to have a look at that today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you how you have taken us out of darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. We thank you that we are part of your body. We are the bride of Christ. And Father, we want to submit ourselves to you and to your heartbeat and to your desire and for your longing for us as a people. Father, may we fulfill the calling you have placed on our lives and give us a sensitivity to your spirit this morning. Um, help me to speak your truth in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I carry on, I think it's important that we address three questions. Three questions to begin on. Question number one, what is God's vision for his people? What is God's vision for his people? We have a whole bunch of things that we can identify in the scriptures about God's vision for his people. What he wants to see take place within the lives of his people. I've just picked three. There are many, many more, but as we look at these, I wanted us to say this sort of best covers, best covers most of the aspects of our lives living here as ambassadors for Christ. For example, what does God's, God's vision for his people to shine, to shine. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and, here's the key point, glorify your Father in heaven. One of the greatest purposes, or I think it's the Westminster Confession that talks about their purpose is to not only know God, but glorify God to know him and glorify him and enjoy him forever. That was man's chief purpose is to glorify God. So we are called to shine. We are called to go. God's vision for his people, for us to go. We are not static. What I mean by static is that we are not here just to stay in place rigid and not do anything else, but to go. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, we read, he said to them, Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. 
What's God's vision for his people? That his people might go. And I've shared this before. In the Greek, that word go means to go. You cannot misinterpret that. It means to go. It doesn't mean anything else but that. In the Greek, you can look at it probably in any other, the Septuagint or whatever it might be, any other translations of the Bible, that word go means go. And everybody knows what that word means because at some time in your life you've been told to go away. We all have. Some of us more than others. We've also been called, God's vision for his people is not only to shine, not only to go, but to make. Once again, and that follows on from Mark chapter 16, verse 15, what are we to make? We are to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is God's vision for his people. What is Jesus' desire for his people? You look in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is the great confession of Peter. And what happens is Jesus asks, who do men say that I am? And they give a whole bunch of us. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets, etc., etc. To which Peter stands up and says, when, when Jesus responds, but who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Peter after making such a, a bold confession and Jesus that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but the spirit from above and he says this he says and upon this rock upon this rock not meaning Peter but meaning the truth that Peter communicated the truth of who Jesus is upon that rock he says I will build my church that the gates of Hades will not stand against Jesus' desire for his people is to build and to build his church. Jesus' desire for his people is to sanctify or to set apart. And one of the English words that sanctify is translated that is to be holy. That's what he And we read in John 17, in Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, we read in verse 20 and 21, my prayer is not for them alone. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Uh, 17, they are not of the world, meaning you and I, even as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There's a setting apart. Verse 19, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus' desire for you and I is that we might be set apart. We might be sanctified. And the third one, and it was mentioned today, that we might be unified. To be a unified people, once again, in his prayer, he says this in John 17, verses 20 and 21. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've shared this before. The greatest apologetic for the existence of God is the fellowship of the saints. The greatest answer to the doubt of God's existence is how you and I, as brothers and sisters, treat each other. How we are united in purpose, united in desire, united in vision. And that is Jesus' desire for us as his people. And what's the Spirit's role with his people? Well, we see this in Acts 1.8 in John 16, 13, and in John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27. We all know Acts 1, 8. It's to empower. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. To teach, sorry, to lead. In John chapter 16, verse 13, we read, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will lead you or guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the Spirit's role is not only to empower us, but to lead us, and lastly, to teach us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says that you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you received from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. This here, this, God's vision, Jesus' desire, the Spirit's role, 
This, I guess you could say, covers a majority of our existence as followers of Jesus Christ. To glorify, to submit to, to be set apart by, to be empowered with, to be taught, to be led, to, to just, just, just so many aspects of our lives as the people of God. So if this is God's desire, God's vision, Jesus' desire, and the Spirit's role, then how do we, as his people, as the body of Christ, as fellow citizens of the kingdom, align with his heart? How do we bring ourselves into that? What are we called to? What are we called to live for? A couple of weeks ago, Andrew shared with us, and one of the points that he made was, what are you waiting for? This is a similar sort of question. What are we called for? What are we, what are we living for? What are we waiting for? What are we living for? Because when you read in the Scriptures, we are told this reality, that we as the people of God have placed within us, within our hearts, eternity. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the second part of verse 11 actually states that. We know, we know as we've gone through life that there is something more. Even before you became a Christian, you knew there was something more. You knew and wondered, even with my own journey to Christ when I became a believer at 19, I remember distinctly looking at my bourbon. I, had a, I was a big bourbon drinker before I became a Christian. I thought it was like a fancy drink. Anyway, I had a bourbon, but I remember looking at my drink and saying to myself, there has to be more to life than this. There has to be. This is why C.S. Lewis, when he said his great quote, if I discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That is the observation that C.S. Lewis made. And it's true, because we try to fulfill that longing, try to fulfill that desire with a number of things, which we'll look at a bit later on. But see, this is just the reiteration of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11b. He has put into, sorry, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, And being concerned with eternity as it has been placed in our hearts means that as Christians, we are to prioritize God's vision, to prioritize Jesus' desire, and to prioritize the Spirit's role in our lives. Not that we're living an unrealistic, pie-in-the-sky, ignorant, blissful life, but looking at life in its realistic terms from eternity's perspective. That's what we are called to do. Understanding that this world that we're in now, as we're told in the Scriptures, is transient. It's changing. It's temporary. And because it's temporary, and we're told this by Jesus when he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Therefore, if this is the state of the world and what is to await us is eternity, What are we doing now to prepare for it? What are we willing to invest into? In our modern day, first world countries particularly, much if not all of our priorities or our vision revolve around our own personal comfort, our own personal success. And I'm not not knocking that. I'm not saying that being comfortable is bad. I'm not saying being successful is bad, but it appears much of society's vision is for the here and now. It's what I can get, not even considering the possibility that there could be more than what we see. The society is like the rich man of Luke, chapter 12, verses 16 through to 21. If you have your Bibles turned there, uh, I'll be reading from the ESV. But Luke chapter 16, uh, sorry, sorry, chapter 12, starting at verse 16. This is much of society's view of what life is. Verse 16 begins. Sorry. Here we go. So once again, I'm reading from the ESV. 
someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample good. I have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, we have this mentality in society today that the abundance of things we have, we tear down to make more space so that we can have more. We find our security in the abundance of what we have. And please don't misunderstand me. It is good to have a job. It is good to be secure. That those are all good things. But all of those things are once again temporary all of those things are transient and 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 so we often have that same mentality of verse 19 you have plenty of great laid up for many years take life easy eat drink and be merry and there's nothing wrong with eating there's nothing wrong with drinking there's nothing wrong with being merry there's nothing wrong with those things but if if that is our ultimate goal if our ultimate goal is to gain this then we're in trouble because we lose sight of verse 20 when he says to him, you fool, this night your life will be demanded from you. And that's what we miss out. That's what the world misses out. And the reality is this, when I buried my mom a few years ago, and even when I saw my dad, it's really fascinating how you just, you just never think your parents will die. You never think that. You never think that there'll be an end. You think, I've got a long life ahead of me to enjoy what's in front of me, and you never think of the uncertainties of life. If you remember what Andrew shared about a couple of weeks ago, instead our view should be, in in James chapter 4, verse 15, instead our view should be, if the Lord wills, then we will go and do this or do that. If the Lord wills. We often forget if the Lord wills and say, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to do that. Now, I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom, But that's the reality of what life is. This is what we forget. Sadly, and this is the the challenge for us, sadly, much of the first world church has that same mentality. Most of the first world church, uh, that our vision as Christians really goes beyond the comfort of this life. It really goes beyond the the, the convenience of entertainment, the accessibility of our wants, we find it so comfortable that, that our aim is to achieve this. It might be the flash beachside house. It, it, might, it might be the movies and Netflix. It might be the All Blacks or LeBron James getting blocked by a scrub. Okay, so uh, we, we, we have all of these things that we look for to help us and think, this is what I achieve. This is what I'm aiming for. This is what our life revolves around. And a lot of us as Christians hold on to this. And sadly, what one preacher said, which I've, been, I've thought about for a while, I, th- I believe it was Tim- Timothy Keller, he described it as this. He says, comfort and ease in this life is the new heaven. Success and status is now the new gospel, and money and possessions is now the new power. We have lost sight of eternity, and everything we do in life is to gain us comfort is to help entertain us, is to help occupy our time because we have lost sight of eternity. We have lost sight of our destination. We have lost sight of who we are going to and who we are living for. That is what we have lost sight of. This identifies much, not all, and I'm not lumping us into that. I'm saying is this is for us as individuals seems to be the ultimate goal for us. 
And that is not what God desires because you compare this, the modern day viewpoint of the saints to what the saints of old had. In Hebrews 11 verse 13 and 14, we read, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Irrespective, as you read through the heroes of faith in chapter 11, they were looking beyond the here and now. Everything that they did in their lives was for the purpose of achieving the ultimate goal of God, the heart's desire of God, the role the Spirit had, that everything they did was involved with that. And I have seen people do this, but not for the things of God. I have seen people do this in my own life for their jobs. I have seen people do this and revolve everything about their lives in order to make the buck. Now, please, I'm, I'm not dogging on. I'm not making, if you make money, great. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not sitting there going, oh, you work, you make lots of money, bad person. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying we have to view our lives realistically. We have to view our lives the way God sees it, with everything that he's given us, our families, our wives and our husbands, our friendships, our jobs, our, our possessions, all of these things God has blessed us with, and praise God for the blessing. But that is not to become our God. That is not what we're aiming for. That is not what we're aiming to achieve. We're aiming to achieve for what will last into eternity. That's what we're aiming for. That's where we're supposed to be going. It is about having one heart, one's heart, mind, and vision looking beyond what is the here and now. It means having the Scriptures teach us. Sorry, having the Scriptures teach us the priority that we, are, that we have is supposed to be an eternal priority, not a temporal one, which means you and I are confronted with a choice, a choice as to what and to who we are going to live for. It is a confrontation that Alexander McLaren, a Baptist minister from the 1800s, he said this, transiency is stamped on all our possessions, occupations, and delights. Read that again. Transiency is stamped upon all our possessions, occupations, and delights. This means everything around us. Transiency means it's going to end. It's going to end. Man, I'm getting older. And as I'm getting older, things are breaking down. Things are breaking down. And as they're breaking down, I'm like, wow, I'm getting tired now. A lot easier. Look at the sweat. That never used to happen. I'm overheating. It's like just overheating all the time. It's terrible. But you know this. When you're young, you're full of energy. And we have Vito and the, and the girls over. Vito's just running everywhere. And he's like, oh, I, I last maybe... 30 to 40 seconds running around with them and I was like you go play with JRL that's that things are breaking down transient uh, our, our things change relationships change it's transient your jobs change it's transient you, your, your, the way you celebrate things it's, it's changing things change and it's stamped on this side of eternity everything changes and everything eventually will come to an end this is what McLaren made back in 1800, no, the 1800s and he said we have the hunger for eternity in our souls the thought of eternity in our hearts the destination for eternity written on our inmost being and the need to ally ourselves with eternity proclaimed by the most short-lived trifles of time. Either these things will be the blessing or the curse of our lives. What shall they be for you? Transiency can be a curse if you invest everything you have in something that will not last. And because eternity has been stamped on your heart and on my heart, actually not even just eternity, it's the one who inhabits eternity is stamped within our heart, then you've got to ask yourself, where then, or what then, am I living for? Who then and I'm, am I living for? And before you ask yourself, how do I live for eternity? How do I live for Jesus? How do I live for a greater purpose? You do this every day. You do this every day. You know how to live for someone else, and you know how to live for something else, because you do it every day. I have seen it, and I have done it. If you're married, you live for your wife or for your husband. 
and you provide for your family. That's living for someone else. When you go to work and you do what you do in your job, you're living to help support somebody. You're living to help support your job and the goal of your job and the purpose of your job, whatever it is they want to do. You do this every day. The problem is, when we do this every day for things of this world, then why is it then we find it difficult to translate how to live for something else, how to live for someone else? Why is it hard to then translate that to, I am now going to live for God? See, it means you evaluate what it is that you live for now. You live for your child, to support your children. What does that involve? Sacrifice. That involves sacrifice. And what's amazing is you willingly sacrifice for your children and for your loved ones, don't you? You willingly do that. I see grandparents sacrifice for their grandchildren. Do drive after drive to look after grandkids. Take less sleep to help their kids raise their kids. I see that. This is what, so why then do I find it so difficult to sacrifice for my God? who has given me so much more. Okay, in your jobs, you prioritize your job. Yeah, sure, you're getting paid, but you sacrifice for your job and you prioritize the things of your job. How much more then to prioritize the things of God which last to eternity? Doesn't that make sense? You wanna, you wanna know how to live for someone else, then have a look at your life. Now, please, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting single people, because see, I, I know when I was single, I was selfish because all I had to worry about was me. But I still lived, whether it be I lived with my parents, whether it be I lived with my friends, those same ideas apply to how I live for God. Is that perfect? No, but it's a start. It's a start. So when you look at this, if this is what it is, essentially you, you live for others most effectively when you see, when you know, and when you understand the greater purpose and the risk of what is at stake. I cherish my relationship with my wife and I will do what I do to help protect that relationship. Therefore, my Lord who has done so much more for me than my wife, then I should take that same, idea, that same mentality, that same idea. Well, this is what I'm going to do. That as I, as I cherish my relationship with my wife, I'll cherish my relationship with my God and I'll protect it. If someone makes fun of my wife, I protect her and I stand up for her. I says, don't you say that. Don't you dare say that. Ooh, I'd never do that. But. Someone makes fun of my God? Hang on, you can't, you can't say that. Why would you say that? Why would you say that? You, you know what I mean? This is, this is about having a vision for what we're living for. A life directed at eternity. For that which will last. And this is why within the scriptures we are told time and time and time again the importance of where our focus, of where our vision rests. We are told this, do not store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but to store up for ourselves or yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's where our focus is. It's on the eternal. It's not the here and now. The here and now can be broken into. The here and now can be stolen. The here and now can, can perish. We're told, invest into the eternal. We're told again in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Once again, where is our focus to be? In heaven, to the eternal, not on the things of the earth. Why? Because the earth will pass away. Investing into the eternal is what we are called to do. For example, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, one of my favorite verses, fixing our eyes on Jesus, having our focus on the eternal, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, I love the second part. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what I like about that? Even in the hardship that faced him, that as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood for you and for I, praying for us at this time, asking, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When he's praying this in the Garden of Gethsemane, was that a joy before him? No. He was, I would say he was scared. 
because he's going to be separated from eternity past to eternity future. He knew that there was going to be a point where he'd be separated from his father for us as he took upon himself your sin and my sin. Was it uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we read this, that as he, he sweated all of these things, you know what the joy was? The joy that he saw was not the cross, but what lay beyond. That's what the joy was. The joy that he was opening a way by which where you and I could be reconciled to God the Father. The joy where he was seated at the right hand of God now to know I have made a way for Jasmine. I have made a way for Ash. And now we no longer need this temple and, and, and all of these rituals that we had to perform. They could come directly to me in the person of Christ. That was the joy. That was the joy set before him. He looked beyond what he saw there. He looked beyond the cross. Even while he was on the cross, he was praying for other people. And he saw what was going to happen after that. That was the joy set before him. For you and I, that's the example that our Lord sets for us. It's about having that eternal view, the view of who he is there. And that's why even in, in Titus chapter 2, it says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This, this we, we await, we're looking up. We await looking for his glorious appearing. We, we, we wait upon him knowing that he is coming back. But once again, where's our focus? Our focus isn't on ourselves. Our focus isn't on each other and what they are or are not doing. Our focus isn't on that. Our focus is looking up. And you know what happens if we all look up? We're not concerned with the things around us. No, not actually not concerned. We're not concerned about the pettiness of things that go on because we're all looking up. We're all aiming for eternity, and everything we're doing is for that purpose of achieving a glorifying of God in eternity. That's what happens when we're all looking in the same direction, when we all have the same vision. And, and the second thing, that, that's, the, that's the first thing, to have our, our, our focus right, that as we concern ourselves with living for eternity, that means having our eyes focused on where we are going, on, on what is to come, like the Lord Jesus, not on the here and now. And secondly, secondly, what I think is really important is we, we take practical steps. And I think, I think this is the whole reason why we did James. The whole reason why we did James is to show everybody here, including myself, what it looks like to live as a person with their eyes on eternity. That's what James was all about. James, about how you viewed persecution, about how you viewed trials, about how you viewed favoritism, about how you viewed prayer, about how you viewed your plans, about how you viewed all of those things, about how you viewed your works in, com in combination with your faith. That was all about, James was there for us to show, okay, if we are to live for eternity, what does it look like? And so we spent seven weeks on James saying, this is what it looks like. This is how it's to be lived out. And you set practical steps on how to do that. Uh, you look at what, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that I, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's about setting those practical things in your life to enable you to live effectively for the world to come, to live for eternity. And that means you and I making a choice. This is what I've started doing. I, I have my daily workout. I shared with this Chris last week. I have a daily workout. Not in the gym. Uh, I wouldn't go daily to the gym. Uh, I have a daily workout. And what I do in my workout is that I've, I've, on my phone, I've got a checklist. Checklist of five things. And my first thing is this. My daily workout starts off, pray for my family. And so I just pray for my family. 
And as I pray for them, I, you know, I just spend time in prayer. And after I pray for my family, my second, my second exercise in my daily workout, read three chapters. So I'll read three chapters of the Bible. And I'll just read and I'll spend time meditating on the scriptures. Then after I do that, my third exercise is pray for the church. So I'll pray for you. I'll pray for the ministries. I'll pray for missionaries that we support. I'll pray for people that I know in ministry. And I'll just pray. And so that's my third exercise. My fourth exercise, I go, I've got one chapter I'm working through the, in, in, in my quiet time that I study one verse at a time. And I'll just say one verse, and I'm working my way through John 16 at the moment, and I'll just state that one verse, and I'll read it, and I'll just, okay, and I'll meditate that, and I'll just take all these notes on that one verse. And then my last one, pray for the lost. That's, that's my daily workout. I get up, and that's what I do. And you know what happens? And I, I talked about this several weeks ago. It's about training yourself, training your soul for godliness, taking practical steps to train your soul for godliness. And if it means you've got to make an exercise program, a spiritual exercise program, then do it. Why? Because that's going to benefit you to eternity. Why? Because that's going to bless you and strengthen you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's like with anything, I've shared this number of times. Yeah, it might start off as a chore. Yeah, it might sit there, oh, I'll do it. But I mean, you talk to Ash, you talk to, uh, to, to, to Lewis, you talk to B, uh, Brad, I say B-Rad, you talk to Brad, you talk, about any, you talk to anybody that goes to the gym on a regular basis. What happens is that it starts off as a chore, and because you've disciplined yourself to do this as a chore, then it becomes natural. It becomes part of your everyday life. And then when you miss it, so I go to, I go to the gym three times a week. When I miss one, I feel, oh, I don't feel right. I've missed it. When I miss one of my daily workouts, I'm like, oh, that's it's not right. I feel like I've I feel weaker for not going to the gym. And it's like one thing, and I I didn't ask Andrew Finn for this permission, but I'm gonna do it because he's right here, and I love my brother. Thank you, brother. I remember when he shared with me about his mum and his dad and how they 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 forced him not forced, forced the wrong word, they encouraged him to study to study, and, and, and they instilled within him, within him really good study habits. Now, he shared to me a few years ago when he was at work, he said, I'm so thankful for my parents for training me because now, now I've taken on an ethic in my attitude towards my work and towards what I do and the tasks laid out before me to get them done because that was instilled within me at a young age. And now he's reaping the benefits of that. And the and thing is, how much more beneficial is spending time in this? How much more beneficial is spending time on your knees in prayer? How much more beneficial are you reaching out to your friends to talk with them about Jesus? How much more beneficial is having that spiritual input into your life that then overflows into the relationships we share as the family of God? How much more beneficial is that? You know how beneficial it is? It's beneficial to eternity. Andrew's job, Andrew's, uh, all those things, that'll come to an end. What he does for Christ and in the name of Christ is going to last into eternity. The fact that there's going to be an example that you set for someone that'll walk away that you don't even know will sit there and say to you in eternity, hey, David, I just want to say for the blessing you've been to me, and, and you, know, you don't realize this, but you encouraged me so much when you did what you did, when you shared what you shared, when you prayed the way you prayed. It benefits to eternity. You know why that's important? Because that's where we're going. That's what we're supposed to be living for. That's what we're supposed to be investing into. Eternity of where he is, of, of who our God inhabits. He inhabits, in her, in, he inhabits eternity. You see, Jesus' actions, Jesus' faithfulness, Jesus' obedience were possible because it was for the world to come to know that he was working for the world's greater good. It was for us he came into the world. It was for us that he died and sacrificed himself. It was for us that he rose again and ascended to the right hand of God. It was for us now that he intercedes on our behalf and he plays our advocate. That, that is for us. This is... The importance of, of having the right view of our lives in relation to eternity. Because that is where we are going. That is what we are living for. If you read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, uh, I'm not going oh, to, I, I made a list. So you have all of this. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to kill, a time to heal. 
a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and laugh, mourn and dance, scatter and gather. This is all written down in verses 1 to 8 of Ecclesiastes 3. You know what this is? You know what this describes? This describes life. This is what life is. You have all sorts of, it's from extremes. You have ups and you have downs. You have hardships. There is a season for everything. And some of you may have experienced more than one of these things. You may have experienced all of these things. You may be going through these things right now. And if you do not have any hope that is outside of Christ, then this is all you have waiting for you. That's it. And this is the reason why in verse 11, he says he has placed eternity in man's heart. Because life is not this. We are not limited to this. In the person of Christ, we are taken beyond this into his presence. We are taken beyond this into the eternal. And I have a short video I want you to watch. It's a Francis Chan video, which I'm sure a lot of you have watched but it emphasizes this fact and the challenge laid before us as believers. So, is the video okay to go? Hopefully it works. Imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, 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 so I can really enjoy this part right here. You're consumed with that. You're thinking, oh, man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about, th- what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible enjoying myself as much as I can, Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all the stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God, because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And you see, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because that's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I look at the way people live, and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb? If this then is our ultimate destiny, how are we preparing for that destination? How are we living for eternity? Uh, Eternity is something promised to all humanity. Whether an eternity in the presence of God or an eternity separated from God in hell. Our eternity and our eternal destination is determined by the choices we make in this lifetime, especially in regards to who Jesus Christ is. Therefore, if you believe Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, then... How well does our life, how well does our choices, how well do we reflect the reality of Jesus within our lives? This is the challenge laid before us. This is the vision for us as Grace Christian Church. 
and we are aiming as a leadership and as a church to equip you and to enable you and to bless you and to encourage you to live for eternity. That in your marriages, you invest with an eternal destination in mind. That as parents, you invest into your children with an eternal destination in mind. That as grandparents, as grandchildren, that as brothers and sisters and friends and family, that we will make choices that will best bless each other and enable each other to live for eternity. This is where we're going to go this year, brothers and sisters. And we would love, we would love all of you that we might fulfill God's desire and the Spirit's role to be unified in that purpose of living for eternity. And so I would encourage you, I encourage you, because eternity is placed in our heart, let's live in a way that reflects that. I would like to invite the music team up, please, and we'll, we'll close with the last song, and then I'll close in prayer after that. There will be the prayer team out the front, and if something God has prompted you about, uh, convicted you about, challenged you about, uh, we would love to pray for you this morning. We would love to pray for you as we just get on the same page together and, and reach out to one another to live for our God. Thank you, sister. If you'd just like to be upstanding, and we'll sing our last song. Should I suffer long? This is not my home. I know heaven waits for me. Though the night is dark, heaven holds my heart. And I've got all I need to see. I know you love me.
Just what I share with you before I pray. Our sister Tanya Polhill has been coming here for a number of years. She contacted, well, I contacted her last night. Her mother passed away a couple of nights ago. Um, if you just want to pray for her, pray for her brother and family. Um, just as they go through this time, she was just expressing that it's kind of difficult because it's on the fly and they really haven't had a chance to grieve properly as yet. So, in your own personal time, please pray for Tanya, pray for her family as well and just the whole situation that's going on there um, once again it emphasizes the fact of that eternity, eternity awaits, awaits all of us and we should really prioritize our lives in relation to that Father we thank you that you know us, that you love us that you found us thank you that what awaits us is an eternity with you because of what your son has done for us in Jesus Christ Thank you that you continually involved yourselves with each of us. And as eternity awaits us, I pray you will help us to live with you ever before us, to have our eyes fixed, to have our affections set, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And we pray for Tanya and her family at this time and her mother who has passed into eternity now. We pray that through this tragic event, you might use Tanya to minister your love and your goodness and your mercy to the rest of the family members. I pray you'll help her to be settled. I pray you'll help her to get everything organized and give her a wisdom of discernment to be able to communicate clearly uh, the needs that need to be addressed. I pray for us as her church family that we will surround her not only in prayer but also in fellowship. So Father, we ask for you to protect her now to comfort her now, to draw her close to you and wrap her in your arms. Let her know, Lord, that you are there with her even now in the darkest of times. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We would love to pray for you this morning. So if you want to be prayed for, come down the front. <laughs> 